Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and I'm so happy you're here with us. If you're just joining for the first time, I am a special needs mom, a special needs attorney, and a best-selling author. So please grab your coffee, and if you're like me, you might be listening in your car. I spent a lot of time in the car in my day. And please join us for some important discussions to help you thrive in this complex special needs world. Each week, we're going to chat with parents and experts, and sometimes parents who are experts, to offer compassionate advice for all stages of your life. These are the conversations you would have with your best friend if your best friend was an expert like me. Let's go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. It's a mini-sode today. I am going to chat with you a bit about some updates in the disability world, and um, there are so many things to talk about, but I picked three that I thought would be most uh, significant to you. It's, uh, it's definitely been a tough week. Got a couple of notices of some clients who've passed away or clients and family members who've passed away. And uh, it always hits so hard, you know. First of all, as you can imagine, it's very triggering for me. Um, starting to uh, live through a cycle that I have at this time of year. For my daughter, Elizabeth, uh, it's hard to believe that it's coming up on almost 10 years, um, just been a long time. And next year, it will be 10 years without her. So it's, it's funny because there are still these times of year, like now, as we're you know moving up on Elizabeth's birthday and Mother's Day, and uh, in April, around the marathon, was the time when we got the news that this was probably, you know, nearing the end and that we weren't going to be able to do much more for her other than keep her comfortable and wait. That, that death watch is just brutal. And then in May, we had several things for Elizabeth. We had, um, you know, we had prom and we had Mother's Day and Elizabeth's birthday. And I, I just kept thinking, you know, this is the last one of these and this is the last one of these. And, um, you know, it's very traumatizing. It was a winding down and a change of direction and how I approached healthcare and uh, treatment plans and our lifestyle and so many things. And so having said that, you know, in addition to it being triggering for me, and I don't mean for this to be all about me, this is an industry, this practice that I have, these companies that I run, it's just unfortunately um, the case that there's a lot of sadness and there's bad things that happen all the time. So it, it's just another thing to deal with and work through while being present for families and caregivers and trying to offer support and counsel and friendship and a shoulder 
and whatever people need at the time. So that's what's been going on here. Um, what's been going on around the country has been super interesting. Uh, first and foremost, Social Security opened up their offices on April 7th. Hooray! Unfortunately, to a huge backlog, what do you expect, right? Um, for those of you applying for or needing to do business around SSI payments, it is very challenging to do them online, not just because of your disability, but also because the system, the disability system was set up for SSDI applications and supports and not really for SSI. SSI applications are, you know, not so much about work history, not so much about um, because you would naturally have to be a person of low income and low assets to qualify. You're typically somebody who has not earned or not earned much. So, you know, the SSDI online application is all about your doctors and your protocols and your, your work history and all of those things, as opposed to the process of, you know, what is the diagnosis, which, you know, is first and foremost, and how does that impact your ability to work at all, which is more about SSI, as well as the financial issues of income and assets that you deal with with SSI applications. So having the social security offices open up is fantastic, but you really should make an appointment and not just walk in. There have been varying reports about the long waits. They are still maintaining their health protocols, meaning masking and social distancing. And because of social distancing, they're only allowing so many people in the waiting room and in the office at one time. So you don't want to go down to your local office and be surprised that you have a long wait and can't be seen. You can call your local office number and make an appointment, or you can try to make an appointment online. And I would highly recommend that. So hopefully we are going to start chewing through some of the backlog that we've had over the last two years, where many people did not get the benefits that they were entitled to, either because they were kicked off, they went through a review process that came out with an incorrect outcome and were not, it was near impossible to deal with the appeal system online. So having said that, um, I would love to hear from all of you about what your experiences have been like lately at Social Security and whether you are actually able to get what you need. Um, I've had a couple of reports of people who've walked right in and been there less than 30 minutes and got done what they needed to get done. That would not be an initial application. Initial applications back before the pandemic could take one to two hours. So um, let us know how things are going for you with Social Security. I'm curious, and I'd love to compile some statistics about that. Okay, next on my list 
is um, I want to talk about employment, employment for people with disabilities and how it was impacted by the pandemic. You've all been hearing about the great resignation. So a lot of there's a lot of job openings. Unemployment is historically low. It was extremely high at the beginning of the pandemic, but over time has definitely uh, decreased in every state. So with such low unemployment, there should be more opportunities for people with disabilities who are marginalized workers to get back into the workforce. We did see this briefly during the pandemic for uh, retail and food service worker jobs and a couple of other industries like that. However, overall, employment discrimination is still alive and well. And with many, many jobs moving online, this may provide some opportunities for people with disabilities who normally would not be able to conveniently get to a location, a job location, to be able to work from home. However, this requires somebody who can set their own schedule, monitor their progress, has good executive function skills, has good tech, and can operate independently. That's not everybody with a disability. Many people need coaching and queuing. Not only are there less jobs that you can get out there and take that provide that, but job coaching programs are almost non-existent. I don't know what's going on in your state, but here in Massachusetts, there just are no direct service workers. And we cannot get job coaching programs to open back up. There aren't enough people. We are focused on doing uh, day-to-day care for people who are at risk. And so that's where a lot of the energy is going in rehiring and retraining people after programs have shut down. Many day programs that have an employment component are still not open or are not open to everybody. They're taking the easiest people to staff back. So people with more profound disabilities are not returning to programs yet after two years, more than two years. And therefore, with no job coaching persons and no job coaching opportunities, employment remains barred for people with more profound disabilities. So um, it's a mixed bag with what is going on in employment these days in our country for people with disabilities. I think that many people have gotten creative, have created entrepreneurship opportunities. Uh, I did a great podcast with Brian who talked about this. And, um, and I think that this can be a way for many people But again, we're going to be limited for those people who need that job coaching support, that queuing. Um, Companies are less willing and less able to provide the extra supervisory support needed for some people with disabilities to be successful in their job placement. They just don't have the people to be able to do it. They're suffering along with the rest of us. I know in my own small, tiny company, I've been down two people for quite some time. 
and really need to focus on getting those people hired because our productivity has suffered. And, you know, we've definitely had some unhappiness with our clients about how long it takes to get things done and small mistakes that have been made that are, you know, avoidable when you have the right staff and the right staffing ratios. So let's hope that we will continue to support entrepreneurship, meet people where we find them, and to continue to staff and grow job coaching and employment programs for people with disabilities. Okay, last but not least in this mini-sode episode, I want to talk about healthcare. So um, I saw a uh, an article, actually a couple, about a new drug for people with Alzheimer's and this drug being a new treatment plan. It, it is experimental, but um, the feds through CMS were had decided that people with intellectual disabilities and Down syndrome were not going to be included. So let me explain a little bit about this. After complaints of discrimination, the feds are backing off of their plan to keep people with Down syndrome from accessing a new Alzheimer's treatment. The Food and Drug Administration had approved a new medication last year, even though it's controversial, for the treatment of Alzheimer's. But um, as you may know, the lifetime risk of people with Down syndrome to develop Alzheimer's is as, as high as 90%. However, CMS, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, makes its own rules about whether it covers certain drugs and certain treatment plans. So they rolled out CMS rolled out a proposed coverage plan that did not include people with intellectual disabilities and Down syndrome. Since many people with Down syndrome and intellectual disabilities are covered by Medicare and Medicaid as their insurance program and not covered by private insurance, this is significant. It has a significant impact on them. But they got more than 1,800 comments when this rolled out that attacked the agency for excluding people with disabilities, with intellectual and developmental disabilities, including Down syndrome. So they reversed course in April last month, but that still doesn't guarantee access to the drug. So that's a that's a wait and see. Um, we'll see if. This program actually gets rolled out for people with intellectual disabilities. But that brought up a lot of other issues and things that I wanted to talk about. Equitable access to treatment in healthcare has been an issue for a long, long time in the disability community. For example, people being left out of clinical trials people being excluded from experimental um, treatments. And and that exclusion is based on 
insurances not being willing to pay for it, as well as protocols for these treatment plans and programs, excluding people with disabilities because of perceived outcomes. Also, organ transplants. I experienced this with my daughter, Elizabeth. Um, This was some time ago, but her disease process, mitochondrial disease, really, uh, it's a degenerative process that eventually impacts most organs in the body. And so early on, I had a conversation with a few of her doctors about what happens if what happens if her liver fails? What happens if her kidneys fail? What happens if she you know, starts to develop issues with her heart? And was told that she would not be a candidate for a transplant. So in questioning this, I learned about um, outcomes being determined to be less uh, less positive for people with disabilities, et cetera, et cetera. So lastly, besides organ transplants, there's been even discrimination in access to fertility and reproductive medicine. Um, that, that encompasses things like access through health insurance, such as Medicaid and Medicare to pay for fertility treatments and doctors and health systems having bias against people with disabilities and not being willing to take them again into their treatment and protocols. Now, we saw this discrimination in the healthcare industry profoundly highlighted during the pandemic. I keep using that word profound because it has been profound. We saw battles over access to ventilators and treatment outcomes and so forth. Ableism is alive and well in the USA. Um, Interestingly, there have been multiple states that have bills about equitable access to healthcare, equitable access to uh, transplants, And a new federal bill, because there are, I think, 10 or 12 states that have protective bills, but a new federal bill from Senators Rubio and Hassan addresses discrimination in organ transplants to overcome the, you know, the disparity between one state and another. Again, only some states have laws protecting access to organ transplants for people with disabilities. But ultimately, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, it it provides and protects, purportedly, equal access to health care coverage. But in practicality, this doesn't happen between insurance access issues and policies for such places like organ transplant centers, de facto people are being denied access to certain healthcare treatment plans, medications, doctors, et cetera. So I think we have 
really far to go. It's great that we are addressing some narrow issues, but our real big stumbling block is really two parts. It's the funding of healthcare in our in our country, how healthcare gets funded, especially for people with disabilities who are so overweighted in the Medicare and Medicaid system, as opposed to private insurance entities. And second, we still haven't overcome all of these, what we call institutional bias, for people to live in the community and to have access to all the community resources that any other person would have access to. That's what we call ableism. Our institutional bias is still to provide services and supports in an institutional setting versus a community setting. And our health insurance providers that provide public health insurance, Medicare and Medicaid, still have programs that are biased towards institutional living versus getting access to those services and supports and getting them paid for in the community. And organ transplants and fertility treatments are an example of that. So how do we overcome bias in the healthcare industry and the insurance industry and really in our community at large? Legislative approaches are only the beginning. We really need to be out there in a huge way showing up either as an individual who's impacted with a disability or as an ally. The process that happened with CMS and with this Alzheimer's drug where 1,800 people commented and jumped into the fray to say, this isn't right, we need to change this, that's a beginning, that's the way to go. We all need to step up and be part of this community of ours, both at a local, state, and federal level. We need to pay attention to what's going on. And we need to not say that's okay when discrimination happens because somebody with a disability would not be able to, and you fill in that blank. So that is my mini-sode for this week. I hope that you are able to check in on some of those topics and do some reading. Please let me know if you have any questions or concerns or comments. I love hearing from all of you. I've got another episode coming up soon on questions and answers because I've gotten quite a few in the last couple of months and I would love to take some time to answer all of them. As many of you know, I, uh, I've said this before, I do get contacted constantly, which I love. It's impossible to personally answer all of your questions and to, in some, in, in some fashion, it's also unethical for me as an attorney to give legal advice to people who are not my clients. So I can be general about it by using these forums, using Circle of Care, our Facebook group, 
using this podcast, sending out blog posts, et cetera, as a way to continue to distribute information and support and guidance while not running afoul of any ethical obligations that I have as an attorney licensed only in Massachusetts. Hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Please rate and review. It's the best way I have to get this information out to people that really need it. And I so enjoy doing this podcast. I love talking with all of you about these issues that impact my life, your life, and our community at large. Hope you guys have a great day. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.